G'day and welcome to Runners Radio. I am your host, Rick Mirabella, and we've come to the end of our four-week series, Above the Shoulders, the mental health series, which was so well-received. And um, thanks so much for all the feedback on that. It was it was pretty powerful and, and very humbling to uh, to put those together. We will be doing a couple more over the summer break. Um, but just these next couple of episodes, I've got a real special guest on this morning I'm about to introduce. And then we're going to finish with me and my good friend, Mick Sharkey, just doing a recap on the year. Um, not just runners, but uh, endurance sport in general over the year and take a bit of a lighter look. And that'll be coming out just before the uh, Christmas break. So without any further ado, I'll introduce our next guest. Now, we've had this lovely lady on the podcast before, but it would have been um, stupid of me not to get her on again because only a matter of a few weeks ago, she became the first woman in the history of the universe and only the fifth human being ever to complete the Uberman event in California, 34k swim, 644k bike, and finished off with a 217k run through Death Valley, 135 hours in total, and if any of those numbers are out, I'll let Mel correct me, but I introduce listeners, Mel Urey. Hey, thanks for having me back. Oh mate, we were stoked. Our last episode, which is one of the earlier episodes of um, the Deep Dive, listeners, go back through the archives has been downloaded so many times in our top three in total. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, I didn't tell you that, did That's I? A, no, you did not. That's uh, amazing. It's a very Thank popular you. one, a very, very popular episode because um, she's just uh, – it just resonates. As far as the numbers possibly don't resonate with any of us, me included, but um, a lot of the stuff Mel talks about in that episode and we'll talk about today resonates with listeners – Seven billion of us in the world, I've got no doubt, because we can take something and use it in our everyday life, and whether it's work, family, sport, hopefully this might inspire you to do something amazing of your own. And the best thing about Mally, she puts it in really simple terms and doesn't try to overcomplicate anything, which all the good leaders and coaches should do. But I'll quickly recap what you've done before um, our last episode. So the Epic Five, which is a very famous event now, I'd never heard about it before I met Mel, and then I then I uh, read Rich Roll's book, which is what inspired Mel. So quickly recap for the listeners: the Epic Five, some of your other feats in endurance sport, and then I guess what led you to doing what you did in October this year. Yeah, sure. So Epic Five is five Ironmans in five islands on um, in five days in Hawaii. So you do an Ironman a day and then island hop um, each day. So I did that in May 2017. Um, I started racing ultras in 2014 when I did Ultraman Canada, which is um, a three-day race. So that's a 10K swim, 145K bike the first day, the second day is 275K bike, and the third day is a double marathon. So it's 84-kilometer run. And I've done two more of those um, events. I did one in Australia in 2016. And then last year I did Ultraman Hawaii um, in November. So, uh, yeah, I've done lots of ultra racing. And then this year I did my first 100K run as a lead-in to doing Uberman. And the previous year I did a 20K swim, which... It's kind of funny to say, but I keep forgetting that I did that. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've done so much. But um, yeah, and that was, I specifically did that one. That was the Rottnest Channel swim to see if I'd be able to do the Uberman swim. That was my kind of little test event um, in some ways because it was a swim that was a bit of an unknown to me. So once I did the 20K swim, I was like, okay, yep, no worries. I can do the 34. That'll be, that'll be fine. And then as part of my lead up for this year as well, I did um, five 50K runs and a 60K run as well. Okay, v- quite vast. She popped over everything really quickly. 
crazy amount of mileage. If you do any of the reading on the Epic Five, it's epic um, in more ways than one. But with the other stuff you just did, let's just recap that. Rottnest Swim is um, quite prestigious in Australia. Where one of our previous guests, Ash Fraser, has done it a couple of times. That's a great you, – you went to get the specific task. You went to swim. How would you find the swim? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, I wasn't used to swimming without a wetsuit. Being a triathlete, I never do non-wetsuit swim, so that was a very different experience. And I actually really enjoyed having a swim focus to my training at that point in time. So it was just – it was something a bit novel mm. for me to be doing. It was nice to have a different focus, um, get more into the ultra-swimming community. I do have a lot of friends in that world, so it was kind of nice to hang out with them for a bit longer. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. it's really cool. See, the crew for that, what's a crew for the Rottnest Swim? Just so, a boat? Yeah, you have a boat, a paddler, and then I had a crew member on the boat to be able to pass nutrition to my paddler and then they pass it to me. Now, that was that gave you a lot of confidence coming out of that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the Uber man, when, when did you decide to say, okay, I'm going to target this? And knowing knowing the history of the event that four, before you started, was there three finishes in total, four finishes in total? Before I started, there was three finishes. Yeah. So there was um, one a year since 2016 when the first guy did it. And there was a relay that did it that year as well, where there was one person did each leg. Yeah. And then this year, there was three of us who lined up. Um, so yeah, I was the second finisher this year around, but first female ever. Ever. So, yeah. yeah. Which is, uh, there's not often, now we've had Olympians and and um, AFL footballers in this centre and on these podcasts, but there's never, like, you'd never get a first of its kind worldwide, which is credit to her. Some of those numbers might be um, intimidating and, and Mel actually just did a session with us which we're very grateful to have she's done a couple of sessions the last week um, and just talking to some of our, our our athletes in here and a lot of those um, there's a 9.30 session so a lot of the ladies there might be mums or working mums and, and just busy working people and they've done half marathons and some of them have done marathons and there's one or two in the group you just ran with Mel that have done um, some ultras as well oh, nice. some 60k events and that which is and which is really cool um, and I even for those ladies the numbers can be really intimidating but what Mel's going to talk about when we get into her training and, and more importantly her race day mentality is just how to break stuff down and um, I'm going to stop talking very soon and let Mel take it away because if you can just listen carefully and then replay this and replay this, especially when we get onto race day mentality, so it, it is crucial. So you get to the Uberman. Now tell us all about the Uberman. It's in the location, um, the heat. Tell us everything about it and then I will lead you through on race day. Sure. So the swim, so it basically talking to the guy who came up with the idea, came up with the concept of it, he said that he wanted to do the Catalina Channel Swim, which is a very famous marathon swimming event in itself, and the Badwater Run, and then link the two together with a bike ride in the middle, which it was actually really interesting because when I found out about the event, those are two things that I've wanted to do. So I was like, well, I can do them at the same time. They're not going to be officially, you know, done as an event in terms of the Catalina swim. It was an official swim. I did it in a wetsuit. And the Badwater run wasn't at the time of the year that Badwater is run. But I'm like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> I feel like I've done them now. So that's um, that's pretty cool accomplishment. So, yeah, the swim starts from Catalina Island. You swim across to Palos Verdes in California. And then you ride um, through... Uh, there's a bunch of places and it was funny because the guy who came up with the idea, Dan, he kept saying, oh, have you been here? Have you been through this bit? And we're like, we have no idea. We're following course maps. So I, <laughs> I couldn't even tell you now where I went. No. But um, the ride had uh, about 6,000 metres of climbing over the, um, over the distance. So you ride like up through Malibu and then into the LA Hills and you finish in the Badwater Basin. So the last part of the bike is actually the first part of the run. So you come 
through Death Valley over the big climb, which is the first climb on the run, and then um, from what's that stovepipe, then you ride down through to the Badwater Basin, which is um, like 80 feet below sea level. And then the run is from there and it's the Badwater course. So you go um, you know, through, through around to stovepipe um, over, I always get it confused. I think it's Furnace Creek and then Lone Pine and then up to the top of Mount Whitney. So it's, yeah, it's lots, lots of climbing. There's three big climbs in it. Um, and then, you know, the rest of it's reasonably flat, um, you know, a little bit rolly, but not not too too much. But I mean, by that time, you know, any tiny little rise feels like it's pretty big when you're that fatigued and that kind of deep into it. So, yeah, it was just it was just a matter of getting through. OK, we've, we've set out that logistically. Just take us back to the training plan. You obviously decided to do it. Is it five, six months pre? Uh, no, I decided to do things years in advance. This so one? I, yeah, after I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think it was after Epic Five. I felt because at that time I was like, all right, you know, I might give away ultras for a bit. You know, I might short, focus on shorter things. But I had a feeling of not really feeling like I completed what I wanted to mm. do, and so then that's when. I added on another two years. <laughs> I added on Ultraman Hawaii and then every man I'm like, all right, maybe now I can give ultras a bit of a, a, rest, bit of a rest for a while. For a few years, yeah. yeah. So we've decided this. You've talked about um, Rottnest, which is a great specificity. Tell me about um, your, your training weeks in the biggest phase. So you just get to listen a bit of an idea and then we'll go into the mental side of it because it's good to know the training plans behind this because this is unique to anything. So... Um, like if you're training for bad water, you know you you know roughly what you've got to be doing. But you're throwing the six forty four K right in the middle and obviously you're talking about the rottenness swim, stuff like that. Give us an idea of the average week and just where you went to try to prepare for hundred and thirty odd hours of, of competing off no sleep. So how do you even prepare for that if you can? Yeah. So in terms of in terms of my training, it was quite funny. I, I said to my coach, I said, oh, you know, I'm looking at doing Uberman. She's like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't even know how to train you for that. And I'm like, that's fine. You'll, you'll figure it out. <laughs> like, that's your job. That's not my job. I don't need to think about these things. So <laughs> she's like, every, I swear, every time I come to her, I'm like, so I've got this race. She's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I reckon I would have said the same thing. <laughs> um, anyway, so, no, she's she's amazing. Um, yeah. So what I did... Well, what she did had me doing was um, I would overload one particular discipline a week. So I would do maybe four or five swims a week. I would then, you know, for that particular week and then the next week I'd do, you know, maybe about the same in riding, you know, and then the week after I'd do a lot more running. So the whole concept behind it was teaching my body to still move through fatigue and still kind of manage that amount of fatigue as, as I was going. With swimming as well, because the swim's at night time. So you start at about 10 p.m. Well, I did um, jump off the boat and then swim through the night to the following day. So the idea with that was I would swim late at night. So I'd swim like you know, 8, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night and then be back at the pool the next morning at 5, 5.30 in the morning. So I'd have only a short break. Like there's, there's no pools around where I live that are open 24 hours. So I couldn't go and swim at two o'clock in the morning. So we had to replicate it as much as we could in that way. And then, I mean, you know, you get fatigued as hell anyway when you're doing all these things. So I feel like, you know, I was walking around like a zombie for a while there, definitely. I'm sure Mark and my husband would attest to that. And then on the bike, it was a lot of during the week 
would be wind trainer sessions with a lot of focus on strength work most of the time. So being able to maintain consistency over distance and over time through being a lot stronger. And then on the weekends, my coach would literally say, nine hours, he'll ride, off you go. So I'd either go to King Lake or I'd go to the Dandenongs. And sometimes if I am feeling really kind of mentally drained, all I do is hill repeats because that way I don't have to decide on where I want to ride. I don't have to make decisions. I'm well aware I have to make a lot of decisions throughout my normal life. So if I can reduce that down as much as possible, then I do. So if that means doing hill repeats on the one in 20 for eight hours, I do not care. It is perfect. And then it also helps because there's water at the top. I have my car at the bottom. I've got an aid station at the bottom. I don't have to carry eight hours worth of food on me, which, you know, you get creative when you're trying to tuck all things into your jersey and down your bra and wherever you need to, to be able to carry that amount of stuff. So that, that kind of makes life a little easier for me and I'm more than happy just to do that. And it's, it's quite funny actually, you find that you see relatively the same people and as the day moves on and after you pass about midday, then people start to get a little bit more excited and friendly to see you because they're like, wow, you're still riding and I'm still riding and you know, it gets a bit of camaraderie. So that's, that's kind of cool. And then with the run, um, because I did so many running events throughout the year, I did, as I said, five 50Ks, a 60K and a 100K. The day before those events, usually I'd go for a, a 10, 15K run, which is not something I'd normally do. Like I'd run for half an hour, maybe it's a shakeout run. But again, my coach is like, well, these aren't races we're targeting. These are races that you're doing as part of your training. And just because, you know, I wanted to run somewhere different. You know, I haven't run at Macedon. I haven't run at Marinda Dam. Like I did a lot of trails, which was amazing. So again, it'd be that managing through fatigue. So having to keep pushing through. In terms of specifically training for the run, um, that's why I did the 100K, because I've never run over 84K, That's and I've only done that as part of Ultramans, as part of a triathlon. So I wanted to see, you know, just give myself a bit of confidence in that way. I mean, I know it's not even half the distance that I was doing, but mentally for me, that was a really good way. And also, I mean, working with a nutritionist this year about um, how to manage because I get a lot of nausea and a lot you know I feel quite sick when I'm doing a lot of racing sometimes so she kept asking me she's like you know how did you go how did you go I'm like I only trained for five hours it's not long enough I need to go for like eight ten hours and then I'll tell you if I'm having problems so during the 100k I said afterwards like oh that was amazing at 12 hours I felt really sick my stomach cramped up I couldn't eat anything you know I had to keep with you and she's like how is that good I'm like because we finally have a result to this like we finally have some data that we can work with so yeah that was like really helpful in a lot of ways to be able to do that and there was a lot of learnings from that as well so it was really good that's fascinating where was the 100k Mel? at the Yangs. yeah so all trails all your yeah, pretty all much trails. all your ultra trails yeah all that was in a lot of our Melbourne winter and spring. Was, was there much heat acclimatisation because you... No, there wasn't any heat work because I went to America before the race. I was over there, um, I think it was about three weeks before Uberman started. Yep. So I had that time. I mean, I was in San Diego with a friend. It wasn't incredibly hot, It was, mm. but it was hotter than Melbourne. So Melbourne was about, I think, like 12, 15 degrees and I was over in, you know, low, mid to high 20s, sometimes 30s, which was better than nothing really 100 percent. because overheating is with something of this nature is is so so paramount that we don't do it with the event itself um i know you said where it was but most of the days were around 30 to 35 degrees celsius is that right 
when I got to, um, to Death run. Valley yeah. on the run, yeah. yeah, yeah. When when I was overall, it wasn't incredibly hot um, until I got to the run. Yeah, yeah, and the last part of the bike. So Badwater and Death Valley are famous, listeners. If you don't know, just for the the extreme heat, which is a, which is obviously um, you did it in their in their fall. Is yeah, it's so yeah. their autumn, so it's in there, the middle of their summer. But yeah. again, it's one of the hottest places on earth. It so is. it's just crazy. It your shoes melt on the asphalt, they've got to run on the white lines, all that stuff. So for Mel to be even be attempting to go there and run in their autumn after everything is just after everything she's done. Look, I told you you'd have to re listen this a few times. Mel already dropped a couple of great nuggets in there. What about when she when Mel just mentioned about keeping everything simple? Like life's complicated enough. This is something it's like what all successful performers do. Routine and simplicity. Routine and simplicity. Why overcomplicate anything? Why have to make decisions and waste mental brain power? And we've got to be stingy with our energy as endurance athletes. We've got to be so stingy with our energy expenditure. So I love that quote about if I have to go in the one in 20, which is just a famous hill route in uh, the eastern suburbs, listeners. Like, why not? Who cares? It's not. It's going to save me a lot of mental energy just flogging myself up there. So first of many, no doubt, you'll get off, off Melissa today. Um... All right, so we've got to America three weeks out. Where'd you spend your last two or three weeks in San Diego on the lock? I did a couple of races. Yeah, tell me <laughs> so about those. I realised that I hadn't done a triathlon since uh, Ultraman Hawaii. So I did a 70.3 in San Diego, the Super Frog, which was really fun. Like, I haven't raced a 70.3 since I think it was before Epic 5. I did Challenge Melbourne. So I hadn't done one in, you know, almost two years. So that was awesome. But... My lack of preparation in terms of knowing the course is very evident when I turn up to races and go, how much how much sand running am I doing? Ah, oh, okay, right, yeah, more than half. Ah, oh, good, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, it, I was doing it for fun. You know, it was one of those, if I can pick up a 70.3 world slot, that'd be amazing. But if I don't, I don't, I don't really care. The guy I was staying with, uh, I ended up convincing him to race as well. He's a triathlete as well. That's how I know him. So that was that was really fun. And I met another girl over there. So we all, I had a bit of camaraderie on the course. Um, yeah, and I had some old family friends who live in San Diego. They came down and cheered me on as well. So it was, it was really cool, really nice atmosphere, really chilled, really lovely. It's a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing, absolutely amazing. And then I did a 10-mile swim as well, which, again, I hadn't heard about. My friend randomly put up on Facebook, hey, I'm doing this, do you want to do it? And I looked when it was, I was like, that is perfect timing. It was about 10 days out from Uberman starting. And so I just said to my coach, do you mind? She's like, yeah, perfect training. And it's actually set up as a relay. So you'd swim a mile, come back into the beach. So then, you know, relay swimmers can do a lap each. So the solo swimmers, they only let 20 people do it overall. And there's a bunch of relay people. But it was it was really good. Then I could practice my nutrition. Mm-hmm. I could practice getting in and out of the water because it was getting quite rough at one point. So kind of managing that. And I realized very quickly, I much prefer just to be in the water, stay in the water instead of come out. But it was, again, a really fun again. event something I could do with some friends and it was it was really good. Well, a couple of really nice social experiences but again it's just that put yourself in those situations you mentioned the 100k run you mentioned the swim and even the 70.3 but the 16k sorry 16 mile yeah 16 mile swim oh 10 mile swim sorry 16. 10 mile, 16 k yeah, swim 16. um phenomenal practice for those kind of things and yeah. how, how your body the more often you put yourself in this situation the couple of days leading up to uberman say so where did you stay there so we moved from San Diego up to Rolling Hills Estates in LA. So we didn't want to be like in LA, but we wanted to be relatively close to where the swim start was going to be. 
I had, so my, by that stage, my husband had come over. He didn't come over initially. We had to wait for school holidays for him to, to come over. And then the rest of my crew all congregated. So I had a friend from Sydney. I had um, one friend from Canada and then another couple from Arizona, one from uh, Philadelphia. So everyone kind of came from everywhere else. And majority of people have all met through triathlon. So it's I just find it absolutely amazing that people are, you know, willing to give up their time, willing to, you know, potentially I said to them, this might take me eight days. I have no idea. So this is the amount of time you need to commit to me. And they're like, yep, 100% we're in. So I just, I'm eternally grateful to them. They're incredible, incredible people to, to share this and give up their time to, to share with me. So beautiful. That. Yeah, that the crew was um, anyone that followed Mel, Mel and you can definitely look at her socials and go back through it. The crew was so cool. They were posting every every day. It was so beautiful. And look, it is all endurance sports a team event, let's be honest. Like There's always people behind the scenes. But on something of this nature, which is very unique, or our first woman ever to do it, you can't imagine there's no one behind the scenes. So four or five Americans that you only met through the sport. How beautiful is that? Yeah. And, and, I, and a couple of, three of them I'd met the previous year at Ultraman Hawaii. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Amazing. so and, cool. Yeah, and that, I just, yeah, goosebumps just then talking about that. These are, so they've given up a week or week and a half of their life and their work and their families to be there. Yeah. But it probably speaks volumes of yourself too, buddy. Like, um, they're not going to give it up for someone they don't respect and, and want to be there and want to be part of history with you. Like, this, the, the 90 years all have got a beautiful connection. And we'll talk a bit more about that later because um, we'll get on to the, the crew and on the race time. So, morning of the race, how'd you sleep the night before? Not too bad. Just slept right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, up to the toilet a bunch of times, probably nerves, anxiety. Yeah. But and then so you got to, you got to wait all day for the yeah. swim start. Did all three of you competitors start together? How does that work? No, no. Work? So because we're all on separate boats, um, we all started from the same beach, from Doctors Cove, which is where the swims all start from. And so what we'd all, all agreed, you know, relatively we'd start around the same time, but ultimately it's up to the boat captain, really. And so I'd originally said I wanted to start about 11 o'clock because I talked to some marathon swimmer friends and they all said, you know, we start about 11 midnight. So I'm like, okay, well, if that's when you start, that's when I'll start because you know better than about this than I do. I'm a complete novice to this site, this world. So I used that and then I spoke to the captain. He's like, well, high tide was at eight, eight o'clock and we got out there quite early. I think it was about nine, 8.39. I was like, well, you may as well start earlier if he was happy with that, which he was, which was amazing. And then one of the other guys, I think he started about 9.30 or quarter to 10. And then the other guy started a little bit later than me. So we all like ref Similar. roughly, yeah, yeah, basically at the same time because it's not an official race yeah. per se. So there's not a starting gun, everybody goes. Yeah. It's you start, you tell Dan when you've started what time and then, you know, we're kind of keeping our splits ourselves and then tell him about it afterwards. Basically. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's so... When it's you got something of this nature, it's not. It's hardly a road marathon, is it? Like exactly. It, like it's I keep not, calling it an adventure. Yeah, <laughs> like that's um, what I felt like it was. Oh, mate, it's an adventure. Right? So, did you have a rough idea? I know you've mentioned eight hours. I mean, eight days. Sorry, 130 odd, 135 hours in total finishing time. Is that correct? Yes. And that that includes your stops, your sleep, and all that. That includes everything. Did so you? That ended up being over five days. Like yeah, was, amazing. Yeah. Did you have stuff planned like when you were going to sleep, or you just kind of ad libbed a bit? We always plan to sleep out of the swim. So I, when I did the roto swim, 
I was really quite dizzy. I still felt like I was in the water for quite, quite some time. So I thought, okay, well, if I finish feeling like that, if I can sleep for a couple of hours, hopefully I'll better sleep that off before I get on the bike. But my plan was always come out of the water, have a sleep. So we had an RV that I could have a bed, sleep in, get changed, use a toilet, you know, everything was in there. So I slept, I think it was for about two hours and then my crew got me up and then on the bike because we also needed to be mindful of LA traffic. We didn't want to start too late in the day because then potentially my crew might get stuck and not be able to get to me. So there was a lot of things that I talked beforehand with my husband about, okay, so how are we going to manage this? And I had a rough idea. I'd probably swim around 12 to 14 hours and up swimming just under 12. So I was spot on basically, which I was very, very surprised at. And so I finished I think it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. So I had enough time and I ended up getting on the bike at about 1.30 p.m. by the time I had gotten changed, had something to eat, got ready, got on the bike. So oh, yeah. then it was, I had kind of ABC plans for sleep because again, I didn't know how I was gonna be and I'm never gonna know until I'm there doing it basically like I've done I used to do shift work for 10 years I've worked through night shift I've trained for ultras through night shift so I know I'm really good sleep deprived but how far do you want to push it over five days or eight days or however long it was going to take me I didn't know so that was one of the other things about okay well plan a one of my friends had done ram the race across america bike race and he had a sleep plan of about 90 minutes every 24 hours and so he'd go to bed and then sleep up, wake up with the sun to trick his body into thinking it had more sleep and more rest than he'd actually had. So I'm like, okay, well that's A plan. B plan, maybe every 12 hours or something, I'll stop and sleep for about, you know, 90 minutes, two hours. And, you know, see whatever, if I need it, just sleep kind of thing. Like I'm very well aware of my body and how I'm going and I'm always checking in and everything like that. So I knew that I could rely on myself and I could also rely on my crew. Like if they're seeing something that I can't necessarily see, then if they say to stop, I'll stop. Or if I say to them, I'm not okay, I need to stop, then they'll be like, yep, no worries, come in. So we had that kind of mutual understanding and respect. And I'd sent them things like ended up being about a three page word document about this is my plan for the race. <laughs> this is my nutrition plan. This is my sleep plan. This is how I am. This is what you do say to me. This is what you don't say to me. Like all of these things that again, I've learned over the years, what works, what doesn't, you know, if I'm just saying to you, look, I don't know, you make a decision for me, please don't say, well, I don't know. Like you have to then step up and, and tell me what to do because on, you know, at that point, I'm not in a not in an ability to be able to problem solve, which I'm well aware. That's phenomenal, and it would have been folly not to do that. Like you, had, you need to be prepared for the biggest event of your life. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Look, that, you could do a whole story just on your sleep. Um, that's unbelievable. In the swim leg, tell me what was going through your head. Like, how were you feeling out there? How were you feeling in the water? Ten, tw- ten to twelve hours in. Like you finish in 12 hours, which is amazing. Um, you've never done anything like this before in your life. How are you feeling like at nine hours, 10 hours in mentally, physically? Give give the listeners an insight. Yeah, so before the swim, I was actually really excited. Like I've never swum at nighttime before. So I was really pumped to do that. I'm like, this is gonna be really cool because I've ridden a lot at nighttime, like mountain bike racing and things just over short distance races. So I, I know that I really like doing things at nighttime because it also means that um, all you can do is focus basically on what's in front of you or what's in your immediate surroundings. You can't look around anywhere else. So that's, that's kind of cool. I 
felt sick for, I think it ended up being about five, six hours. Like I was vomiting. I wasn't able to hold anything down. Like I couldn't pee. My stomach was getting really bloated. So that was quite horrible. But at the same time, I still was feeding every half an hour because I'm like, well, if I have something, it's better than nothing. Some of this is going to be absorbed. So I'm just going to have to try as much as I can. The part where I found it, it was a bit of a struggle was about probably three hours in. And I'm sorry, not three hours in, about 3 a.m. And that was when I was just getting really tired. And I was I was thinking to myself at one stage, I'm like, maybe if I close my eyes between breaths and I can have like a little micro sleep, <laughs> which was, I don't know. You, you think that is magnificent. <laughs> Christ. Like, Talk about clutching that- at straws. <laughs> Uh, yeah so you know you think of strange things when you're out there so I all I needed was the sun to come up like I knew as soon as the sun came up then I'd feel better and then it'd be okay and I knew that sunrise was about 5 30 so I'm like okay I just need to make it through another two and a half hours and then I was all right the the other part that was a bit tough was towards the end because I'd spoken to a guy who does a lot of paddling for the swim and he said in the last quarter of your swim, don't look towards the shore. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. And, of course, what did I do? I looked up and went, oh, that doesn't look too far away. And in my head, it was about an hour away. But reality, it was about two hours away. So towards the end, I'm like, just get this done. Like, I'm over it. I'm over being in this water. I just need to finish, which is pretty standard for me towards the end of a swim. I'm like, I just want to get on my bike. <laughs> Amazing. Tell me about the vomiting. Are you vomiting during strokes or did you have to... No, Get during strokes, yeah. I'd so keep swimming. Vomiting up and then continuing to stroke. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah. So you just vomit. Just between breaths. Take breaths, yeah, yeah. amazing. Oh, I wanted to make sure they knew that, the listeners, yeah. because you're not getting on the boat and spewing. You no. are spewing between breaths. No, no, no. That is, makes the story even better. I love that shit. Tell me about when you're there, any hallucinations in the water? We'll get to that later, but was there anything going Wasn't Wasn't tired Not enough? in the water, Weren't no. I yet. didn't hallucinate until the run. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. That's yeah. I knew about that. But there's the swim, because it is so different. You're swimming in the dark for nearly nine hours and the sun comes up and you're like, well, well here I go again. I've found a new life. Yes. Um, so you got out of the water at a couple hours swim. Couple oh, sorry, a couple hours sleep. I'm yes, sorry. And then, okay. and then you tell me, tell the listeners about you got to prepare for a 644k ride. Do you do anything different than you do normally as far as applying anything? Because you've got to think about saddle sores, infections, jerseys, all this kind of stuff that might be a little bit different to your typical Evan Epic 5, for example. So tell the listeners what you might have done differently moving into the bike ride because it is about to do the longest ride of your life by more. Yeah. So for for this whole event, I find whenever I tell people about the distances, they're like, wow, that's insane. You know, I can't even wrap my head around it. But I'm exactly the same. Like, I can't even wrap my head around it. I can't even wrap my head around what I've done. But I realised, and I think I said to you last week when I was here, that I don't think about it in its entirety. And I didn't when I was doing it. All I thought about was every little bit that I was getting through. Okay, I'm on the bike now. All right, you know, where am I riding? Paying attention, where's my crew? And I was, I was just watching the kilometres tick over and calculating. And sometimes, I mean, when I when I do runs and when I did the 100K, I remember about 2Ks in, I looked and went, oh, I've got 98Ks to go. I just laughed to myself. I'm like, that just sounds ridiculous. So <laughs> I just, I do things like that. Like I looked at my gum and I was like, hmm, I've done 30Ks. Yep, still over 600 to go. <laughs> wow. Like <laughs> just, yeah, it's, it just sounds so ridiculous, but you're like, well, whatever. And I know in myself that I'll just, I'll just do it. I'll just get through it. 
Um, I took two bikes over. So I took my road bike and my TT bike because I knew it was hilly and flat. So the idea was that I'd swap out bikes and I actually ended up riding my road bike for majority of the time anyway. I'd done a lot of training on it. I'm very comfortable on both bikes and they're both set up for me. So that was that was fine. I took two pairs of shoes just in case um, my shoe, my feet started to swell up or anything because I did during Epic 5, but I realised later that was because of the daily running, whereas on the bike my feet were fine. So I took an older pair of shoes that we could have cut and done whatever we needed to. Bit of MacGyver work to it. Totally, yeah, absolutely, if we needed to. But we ended up not, so that was, that was really good. I had the same pair of shoes the whole way through. But the main thing that I did is I took, I think it was ended up being about five or six bike kits every time I stopped to sleep. So I ended up sleeping, oh, after the first night I slept, I think it was about 9.30, I got in and had a, about an hour lie down and ended up sleeping. And then I slept again at about four o'clock in the morning. So every time I'd stop, I'd get out of my jersey straight away. I'd put my pajamas on every time I lay down. I didn't leave my bike kit on. I used baby wipes, just a bit of a wash. I didn't have a shower for five days. And my crew let me know about that multiple times, which ended up being a running joke about how badly I smelled. I'm like, I can't even smell myself. I'm not that bad, surely. They're just like, oh my God, there's a reason why we're up this end and you're down that end of the RV right now. You stay down there. (laughs) Exactly. We'll talk from from way back here. (laughs) And so I used a lot of chamois cream as well for chafing and I actually didn't have any I got like a tiny little bit at the top of one of my legs but that was it wow. like I, yeah I was actually quite quite impressed so with no that. saddle sores or anything no that is amazing yeah yeah How's absolutely you, well you obviously very hygienic looking after your jerseys yes. sorry yes. your nicks but just to be sitting down for so long on a, yeah. on a little seat yeah the listeners can imagine a little bike seat like 644 clips the sleep was good on the bike an hour here an hour there did you get anything more than two hours ever I don't think so. No. No. I think it was basically about two hours, maybe three. No, I'm pretty sure it was only two hours. And by now the bike is becoming an extension of yourself, which is which is good because you feel like it's just part of you. Yeah. Tell me about the 300, 400K mark, how you're feeling. Are you ever going through bits of going, geez, I am the greatest athlete in the history of the world right now? Just, do you ever have euphoric moments on the bike? Um hallucinations on the bike because that's very dangerous and any stages where your crew said hey Mel you're no good we're going to put you on because it's it can oh HNS clearly you're on a bike doing 30k an hour you, and you're falling asleep or hallucinating you're in trouble yeah so I didn't have any hallucinations on the bike either and it was funny at one stage I'm like oh I haven't hallucinated yet oh I hope they come you know that's a bit of an experience <laughs> again one of the things you think of I mechanical wise only had one flat tire so my bikes worked absolutely perfectly which is amazing one thing that I do realize and I'm well aware of is that I don't really have any signs of fatigue or struggling or anything when I'm riding and my crew won't know and so I have to tell them so I remember at one stage we were riding along I was riding along and my crew was stopped we were on a highway somewhere wherever it was and one of my crew, Heidi, was standing out and I said to, I stopped and I said to her, I'm really struggling. Can you find out how much longer we're on this highway because I need to stop and sleep? And how I'd realised that and I said to her, I'm like, look, I'm really, really angry. And every time my mood changes, the first thing I always do is I eat because I figure my sugars are probably dropped a bit low, probably should have a bit more nutrition. I said, I'm like, I've been eating, nothing's helping. I'm still feeling really bad. And now my vision's starting to get a bit blurry. I'm not safe. I need to stop. And she said, yeah, yeah, no worries. We'll have a look at the map. We'll see what's going on. 
And then I think it was about maybe like five, 10 minutes later, she's like, no, we're just going to stop here because we're on that highway for another 20 kilometres. But the shoulder was big enough that we could pull completely off the road and it was completely fine. So we went on an interstate. It was it was safe that we were, we were able to do that. And that was fine. And I think she got quite surprised by that because she just looked at me and she was like, but you look fine. And so that was you know again like she trusted me she trusted my judgment and I'd had a very very similar experience during epic five where I could see my bike starting to weave on the road and I was like this is not safe I need to sleep so yeah I just I know that sleeping for about two hours really refreshes me and then I can get on and keep going again I had a, a pretty cool moment because I managed to do 300 k's in under 24 hours. So I had a little celebration at that point. Th- that's that massive. Was, yeah. Yeah. I've always I've always said to myself, I'm like, I'd love to do a 300 k run ride. Yeah. And then to do that in 24 hours, I was like, yay, that's fun. You know, doing it doing it under a day. In in the context of everything, that's massive. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely. That's really good absolutely. riding. But really I good I really kept everything easy the whole ride my heart rate was because i had my i had a power meter but it was on my tt bike so on my road bike i only had my heart rate to go off which is fine that's you know it's no big deal for me but i kept my heart rate at about 120 130 the whole time if it crept up much more than that i just back off and so my average speed was only about like 17 18 k's an hour which again don't care it was more about getting through as best as I could to the run. Because in my mind, the swim and bike is the first half of the of the event and then the second half is the run. So I had to had to manage that. The The highest my heart rate got was on the last climb, which is the first climb on the run. And it got to about 150, like low 150. And that was it. Like I just kept it so low the whole time, which ended up being a really significant advantage for me because the, the run, um, I've, I've actually felt quite good starting mm. the run as well. Like my legs didn't feel beaten up like they would have if I'd pushed the bike harder. Oh. Ended up finished the bike in 51 hours. So I was I was stoked with Ecstatic that. Ecstatic with that for a heart rate average of 120 odd. Yeah. Like how strong are you? To yeah. keep your heart rate that low and you're doing 644 in 50 hours. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, and I'm phenomenally prepared. And like you said, the, the crew, the, simplif- the simplifying of everything – the conditioning that you've done the last two, three years. Like everything, everything plays a big yeah, role. Yeah, yeah. Um, so good, mate. The bike ride, the last 40K, bit of a celebration. You knew you were nearly finished. So oh, there was, so the last part from Stovepipe around to the Badwater Basin, there was a bit of a miscommunication with my crew. Um, they had said there's 40Ks to go from Stovepipe around, but it was actually 40 miles. So oh. in my mind, I was like, 40Ks, yes, awesome, I can do it. And then... I said to my crew at one stage, I'm like, oh, how much further I got to go? And I'd ridden a decent way. And they're like, oh, you know, you've still got about 40, 50K. I'm like, what? And I and then I like kept kind of asking, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. And I said to him, I was like, okay, this is why I'm confused. And they're like, no, 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 it's 40 miles. And then I just went, oh God. And I just like, <laughs> I had a bit of a moment. I'm like, yeah, no. And I, it took me a bit to kind of regroup from that. And I said to my crew at that time, I'm like, okay, it's, it was getting towards the end of the day. The, I wanted to finish in daylight. I ended up finishing, I think it was about 4.30 in the, in the afternoon. But I said to my crew, I'm like, look, mentally I'm struggling a bit. I am really tired. I need to sleep, but I know I just want to get this part of the ride done. I just want to get the ride done and then I can sleep. So can you guys help me? Like, I just need to feed off your energy for a bit here. And they just stepped it up next level. They were amazing. And... Because 
we had some costumes uh, that I'd said to one of my crew, I said, go buy some costumes, go and make this fun. Like, let's have a bit of a party out there. So there was like a hot dog costume and they, you know, would be dancing and just doing crazy stuff, which just made me laugh and it just made me feel a lot better again. And like, it was within about five, 10 minutes, I was fine, but I just needed that pick me up that they provided me. So that was that was amazing for them uh, to. That's help. so good, and yeah. that, we'll mention every crew member at the end because I'm, I'm really passionate about that. That's um, there's a lot of science about that, and people like Elliot Kipchoge and all the elites in our distance world mention all the time, Mel, like the smiling and the amount of neurotransmitters that are released. Like it's it's so important just to embrace the hurt, embrace the pain, and of course stuff like that you can take take a bit of um a bit of like pressure off yourself but mate they can make you laugh and that that's beautiful so you finish put your bike away how'd you feel getting off the bike so good yeah <laughs> amazing. It, was, it was funny i can't imagine oh it was it was amazing i was i was done and my one of my friends um josie with one of my crew she took a picture of me and it's like you can just see how happy i am <laughs> to be to be done at that point and it was it was quite funny because it's a big tourist area where we were because people walk out onto the salt plane and one guy's like oh well done did you want a beer and i was like ah, uh, no thank you <laughs> not yet <laughs> that is that's the last thing i feel like right just, now <laughs> just give me a, give me another couple of days of running yeah. <laughs> so what what stage of the race are we in we're in we've just finished the bike ride what what day and what stage are we in three so I had done the bike. Nearly nearly three complete days, isn't it? Yeah, I did the bike in just over two days. Yeah, so, so, and we've done the same. But two... Over two and a half to three days in, yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to give the listeners, because you know we've finished in five, which is phenomenal, that we've even, like, finished in five days. So at this stage, you know that you're probably going to go under eight days. Yeah. By this stage. So you you finish the bike leg. You've had that coveted sleep that you were... You were yes. craving for. Did you end up having two hours that particular afternoon? Yeah, I had a bit longer. Uh, I can't remember exactly how much. I think it was maybe about three, even four hours sleep. Like they gave me a decent. Hang on. So I finished at four thirty, and I started running at about nine thirty. So probably about three hours. Yeah, and you got yeah. to eat in that time. Yeah, definitely. You are yeah. prepping for the biggest. Let's be honest, the biggest part of the whole thing. Yes. Like you you got to yeah. be on your feet physically for two hundred and fourteen k's through Death Valley. So. I guess my my question now is your first few meters of the run. Um, tell the listeners how do were you preparing yourself mentally? And I love the way you simplify and break down little micro cycles. Is it just that again? Just literally one one foot in front of the other? Yeah. So it was it was interesting because I realised actually when I started running, I didn't really know how to tackle the run, which took me a bit by surprise. But at the same time, I had a crew next to me, Willie who has done a lot of ultra running. He's done 250, 500K runs, whatever. He's, he's absolutely mad like me. So I just turned to him and I said, how do I do this? And he's a running coach as well. So he's like, just, you know, you walk as much as you need, like walk more than you run, walk all the hills, which I knew I was going to anyway, and just run when you want to basically. And I was like, oh, okay, yep, no worries, I can do that. And so that just helped. And I was like, okay, yep, I've got a plan now. Whereas before that, I just, <laughs> I don't know, I just, I kind of figure when I get to the run, all I have to do is rely on myself. I don't have equipment. I don't have like anything else is potentially going to fail. It'll be my body. And I know that I'm so stubborn that I just won't stop until I'm done. So I always know that I'll finish, but you know, if my, both my bikes completely, the frames smash apart and whatever, then, you know, that's an issue, obviously. I won't be able to finish. But as soon as I get to the run, I'm like, well, I'm done. You know, even if I have to, 
crawl, I would still get there. So it's one of those things where I, d I know that I'm definitely going to get through it. And again, just breaking it down into sections. So the first part was, I think it was about 20 Ks through to the Oasis Hotel, which when I was riding on the bike and I saw it, I kept looking at it and I'm going, am I seeing that really? So like, if you look at pictures, it's really bizarre. So Death Valley, everything's dead, it's flat. There's these beautiful like mountains on the side and it's kind of this like reddy color and you know, it's all very barren. And then there's this hotel in the middle of it and it's green and there's palm trees and there's grass and you're like, what is that even doing there? <laughs> Just, it's bizarre. So however they get water to it, I have no idea because it never rains in Death Valley. So it just, it was really weird. But that was our first point to get to, to have a sleep because there's a big car park there. So we could park the RV. We did a lot of kind of stealth stuff through Death Valley in terms of like using car parks to have a sleep because we didn't have permits to be in the national park to do a race because it's not technically a race with permits. So we were well aware that if we did anything wrong, we could be kicked out of the park. So we had to be you know, kind of undercover. A lot of it was really good because we'd arrive like early hours in the morning and have a couple of hours sleep and then get back and get running again. And people run through Death Valley, people train for bad water there. So it's fine to have runners on the road, but you don't want to be that person blocking traffic with a big RV and, you know, get in the way of everybody. And then the rangers are like, who are you? Get out of here. I don't want you here in my park. So we need to be very, very aware of that. So it was, it was funny, I did, a, did the podcast with Rich Rollett, it's gonna come out next year sometime. And he was asking that exact question. He's like, you know, so did you like tell anyone you were there in the car? But I'm like, no, no, we just kind of snuck in and out. No one asked questions, so it was fine. <laughs> we, were, we were totally fine. So, it's the Aussie way, Rich. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Thank for forgiveness. We just started talking, everyone's like, oh, you're Aussie, oh, you're fine, don't yeah. worry about it. We're good, we're friends. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do the deed and apologise later. Totally. That's magnificent. So the listeners that don't know, Rich Roll, obviously we spoke about earlier, he's, he's literally one of the more famous endurance athletes, authors, and certainly podcast hosts in the world. And Mel's been on his podcast twice, and the second one will come out early next year. So definitely keep your eyes out for that, because Rich is a pretty inspirational unit. He's a great man. Okay, so you're running along, 20K, quick nap, and just continue on the journey. Some of your mental strength that comes into play now, because um, pain's going to come on. So tell us when pain starts to come on, um, when you're going this far for this long, and then tell us what you do to, I guess, combat that. Do you change tactics? Do you do more walking? Do you change your gait? Um, do you just change your mindset? Or, or do you do something else? Do you say, okay, I'm going to regroup, have a rest? Where do you go when inflammatory stuff starts to come on board? So I found the section on the run through to Stovepipe. So I ran from the Oasis Hotel through to Stovepipe again. So that's like the first 70 kilometres that I, I did on the bike down to the bottom of the first climb. So I did that because our idea was run as much as you could but stay out of the heat of the day and then run at night as much as possible as well. So it was coming to I think it was about around 11 o'clock midday-ish when I was finishing that part of the run and I was really starting to struggle in the heat because I've got a lot of really good mental strategies but I find the more fatigued I am the less resilient I am which is you know standard yeah you're not gonna be you know sorting everything out amazingly in your head all the time so I I talk a lot I communicate to my crew I said to them beforehand especially the people who haven't crewed for me before I was like I will tell you everything about how I'm feeling at all times. Like, cause I'm well aware of how I'm feeling. I'm doing, you know, body scans all the time and, you know, mentally checking in with myself. So I said, you know, I'll just say, look, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling at the moment. 
And one thing I always say to my crew, I'm like, be prepared to talk to me, especially on the run, because that's what I need. Because I will just sit in my head and ruminate, you know, oh, I don't feel that good, I don't feel that good. But if I have something to take me out of that, so I have something else to concentrate on, then that's that's really good. The other thing that helps me is knowing how far I have to go until something, till I reach an end point. So, you know, I've got like another six kilometers till I can have a sleep, awesome. Like I'm feeling like I'm, you know, dead man walking at the moment with how I'm running. And then it had actually been quite helpful to ride that section because then I could pick out kind of landmarks as I was going along that these sand dunes that are quite close to the end. So one of my one of the girls, Mary, she's like, oh, there's a sand dune, so we're, we're not too far. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah, I remember seeing that yesterday, awesome. So there's a bunch of different things that I do to be able to help. And again, and I just keep eating, keep drinking. Those are my main things that I always make sure I'm on top of all the time. And yeah, the the girls who hadn't crewed for me before, they're like, wow, like food goals for you. You're amazing. On Lots how of much calories. You can put away. Oh, absolutely. And because you're always going to be in a calorie deficit oh, anyway. 100%. So you just got to keep eating as much as you can. So that was, that was the other thing. And just... Towards the end um, of that section, it was incredibly hot. I think that was probably the hottest part as well. So it was just about trying to cool myself down as much as possible, like, you know, ice. I had, I uh, can't remember if I put my cooling wings on at that point, if we'd found them or not. But, you know, it's like using clothing, um, yeah, and just not talking about the heat as well. No. It's one of my biggest things. 100%. You, know, you, don't, you don't acknowledge it. No. You know that it's happening, but... You know, you don't start talking about it and then that's all you can focus on. So no. just trying to focus on everything Look, else. If, it's hard to relate it with your stuff because it is so different, but it's a bigger, it's a bigger, much bigger version. The stuff about not talking about the heat is unbelievably true. That's a, I love that you say that. I'm not talking about anything negative for one because we are still lucky to be doing this. Well, um, there's uh, probably not the 214K run, but there's millions of people that would kill to do something like this. Oh, um, so you, you are the first of your kind to do it, the first of any kind. Um, and hopefully people follow suit and just that you keep break, really so. breaking down barriers. I'm yeah. sure you will, mate. Yeah. Um, but the biggest thing as well, and then also just controlling the controllables. You controlled your food, you controlled your nutrition, you controlled your hydration. You can control all those things yeah. and you're super consistent at doing it. And that's, I believe that's your biggest strength as well. Yeah. Your consistency over years and then days in race day just allowed you to have the experience you did it, it could have gone so much worse oh, if so you didn't control worse. the control yeah. the little things and yeah. one of our previous guests um daniel strickland said that's one of his sayings and it's magnificent because all it is is just keeping it simple well i can't control the next hill but i can control what i put in my body the next 30 minutes and those little things get near 100k when did you raise the bat for the 100 and how did you feel about 101k when you knew you just gone the furthest you ever gone in your life do you know what? I actually can't remember exactly where the 100K mark was, but I remember where the 100 mile mark was. Oh, yes. So that's 160 listeners. Yeah. So one of my friend Willie in the middle of the night jumped out with a unicorn costume on and suddenly went, 100 miles. Oh. I was like, oh my God. So is Willie an American? <laughs> no, he's Australian. He's from Sydney. From Sydney. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get to yeah. those guys later. Um, so yeah. Willie sounds like a legend. So he's, he's, helped awesome. you, he's helped you three or four times on the run leg yeah. already. Yeah. So the 100 miles massive. Now, the 100 mile mark. You know, well, I'm on my last quarter here. So in the football parlance, you're nearly in the last quarter. You're nearly at three-quarter time. Yeah. And you're just going, okay, well, whatever happens for me, I'm going to smash my target goal. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and feeling good. Hallucinations, when do they come in, miss? Yes. So my first hallucinations that I remember is on the run. So the first hill, we were coming down the other side. I was with um, my friend Will, who's from Canada. So I got Willie and Will. Oh, of course. Um, I know. <laughs> of course I do. So I was running down with him and 
before we'd started, I don't know, somewhere along the line, we'd had this conversation um, about one of my friends, she's in Sedonia in Arizona, Heidi, and she was talking about there's a lot of very steep cliffs and sometimes people just fall off the edge of the cliff and they're not found for a week because no one knows where they are or anything. And so I'm running down and because there's guardrails on the side, I had no no risk of falling or anything and we were running in the middle of the road because we were only, only people around there at night time. And I thought I could hear someone yelling. And so I was literally mid-conversation, mid-sentence, and I just suddenly stopped and listened. And I didn't hear it again. I was like, all oh, right, okay, that must be a hallucination. Because I figure if someone's down there, they're not just going to yell once and then not yell again. And then Will said to me, he's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh, I just thought I heard someone yelling. And he's like, no, I didn't hear that. I'm like, okay, good. Yeah, must have been a hallucination. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no worries. Because I literally heard someone going, help, I'm down here. Help me. And I was like, oh, Jesus, what's going on here? So that was, um, pretty. That was pretty full on. <clears throat> and then what other one? I had one where, so when we were coming through to Lone Pine, so it was the last sleep that I had before I finished um, up top of Mount Whitney. So how many, how many was, Ks in, like 170K, 180K? Oh, I have no idea because yeah. my Garmin had reset every time I'd stop it because I'd have to yeah. charge it. So for me, it was it's the last section. few hours. The last yeah, few the hours. Yeah, la- the last few hours bit. Yeah. It was freezing. So we're in the desert. It gets really cold. So I think it got down to about two, three degrees and I was trying to put on as many layers as I could, which usually I don't run with a lot of layers on, but... Again, you know, my body's ability to be able to regulate anything was pretty bad by that point because I was so fatigued. And I thought my husband had said to me, did you want a puffy jacket? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll get it next time you stop. And so when next time we stopped, I'm like, where's my jacket? He goes, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> but he was standing there in his jacket and he said to me, like, he's like, I really didn't want to give it to you because you smelled so badly. <laughs> you don't want to wreck the jacket. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to wreck that puffy jacket with this kind of stench. <laughs> But it's he ama- did, so that was good. He's, he's a good man, Mick. Hey, it's, a, it's amazing what the brain does. Oh, did you? What about your vision? How was your vision? What? Yeah, so I, I thought I saw like this big mound of dirt ended up being, I thought it was like a big five-bedroom house on the side of the road. And so when I got to it, I'm like, no, that's just a big, big Well, that's a bloody massive. <laughs> well, how'd you leave that out? I'm glad I asked that question. That's a massive hallucination. You thought a bit of dirt was a five-star bloody house. That's unbelievable. Yeah, that, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that you, you think. Bizarre. How am I going to – when you get to this kind of stuff, like I've never um, had any kind of these hallucinations, as would all our listeners. Or maybe the 100-mile runners that um, are in here. There is a couple that did the 100-mile a few weeks back in here that um, did say they got a couple, but nothing like – this is nuts. Yeah. It's just the lack, it's just the lack of sleep. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, so you're coming up – so Mount Wind is pretty bloody high. It's still, it's still – 1500 feet above or two? 1400 feet. Yeah. yeah. So 1400 feet above sea level. So yeah, I think it's a, or 14,000. I don't know. Uh, we'll, 14, look at, we'll look that up. I apologise for lack of research there. But I knew it was going up a good. So they made you climb on the way up, on yeah. the way home. The, the yeah. last. The last bit. And then you finish at the top. 15, yeah. 15K or so is going up, isn't it? 20, 21. 20, 21 the, K, you're going the up. Climbers, yeah. Fantastic. So yeah. Mount Whitney, a very um, famous in that part of the world. How did you feel climbing up? Physically, mentally, emotionally, because now we're starting to go, well, wow, we, we're in the last red time here. We're in the home stretch. Family, crew around you. Tell us the last hour or so. Yeah, I was I was so excited. It was funny. When we were leaving uh, Lone Pine, which I'd slept overnight in the car park again, just, you know, snuck in there, I was with, <laughs> with Willie and I said to him, like, we could have run a little bit of this because I know I'm just going to walk the whole climb. <laughs> so we, we like just jogged a little bit through town and then just walked up the rest of it. And then I had, you know, different crew jumping in and out at different times. The last hour, 
I mean, at one point, uh, like I had different crew jumping in and out. You know, I had Mary in the unicorn <laughs> outfit again, which was awesome. And then I was with Willie again and I, and he said, all right, because he's been up the climb before and he goes, okay, when we turn this corner, we're going to stop and we're going to look down because it was during the day and that was something I'd, in, in my mind, every time I'd imagine the finish line, it was during the day. And the other two guys ended up finishing at night time. But for me, I wanted to finish during the day. I've seen all these beautiful pictures of this mountain. I wanted to take the whole experience in. And because it's such a kind of switchback climb, you know, it's not a, not a straight up, you can actually stop on one of the corners and just look down through, you know, how far we'd actually climbed up and how beautiful it was and everything. So that was, that was really special to kind of take that moment in. Again, I wasn't hurrying because why would you? It's just about finishing. Like yeah. none of this, I felt like it was a race to the finish. It was just about a war of attrition and getting yeah. through it. So the last like probably five, six Ks, I'd said to Michael, I'm like, Willie can stay with me, you know? Um, and he, he actually asked me, he's like, you know, why, why, did, why me? Like, why did you ask me? I said, because every time he'd come onto the run with me, all we do is laugh. Like we've known each other for like 10 years or whatever since I started really to get in, into triathlon. And we hadn't spoken in, I don't know, a number of years and we'd reconnected a couple of years ago and said, you know, we've got a lot of just random stories and people that we know together and everything and we can just talk shit the whole time. We can just talk about a whole bunch of crap, you know, whatever. And he can just talk. That's like so he doesn't good. even need me in the conversation to be able to talk. And it's, <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. And that is exactly what I needed at that point in yeah. time. And so we had him and then one of my other friends um, who had like pretty much everyone had gone to the top because we weren't that far away. So Mary was had a GoPro because we had the documentary that was being filmed at the time. So she was getting a bit of footage with that so then the other guys could be at the top. And then my other friend Marn had come down. So we had a little bit of a group which was really cool and we were just chatting away. And then we got to the finish line because the finish line is the base of the trailhead. So you don't go up the trail at all because you need permits and everything to go up there. So there's this little sign and Mark was so funny. He's like, Mel, Mel, it's over there. It's over there. It's over there. I'm like, yeah, it's okay. Like I'll get there in a minute. Like I was just, I'm like. It's been five days, isn't it? <laughs> we, do, we don't need to rush this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like racing the clock right now or anything. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so, <laughs> so that was pretty funny. And so, yeah, I just, you know, kind of walked over and got to the finish line and then stopped. And it was actually amazing because there was a bunch of random people standing around and one woman had actually said to me, like, we saw you coming up and we realised that something was going on so we needed to stay and figure out what was happening. And so I got all these people cheering and clapping and everything and there's a, a big, it looks like a Thor hammer from the Avengers Thor. Or if he's from that, I don't know. <laughs> I don't watch a lot of these movies. So, uh, and then, because Dan, you know, his whole thing about it is like, you know, you drop the hammer and, you know, so that's the thing that you pick up at the end and say, you know, you've um, you've finished it. And then you get a little dog tag with your name on it on the box of the, the hammer. And then it goes back for the, the next competitor and, you know, for the following years. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Like my name's forever on that box now. So pretty stoked with that. So it was... It was interesting because you know everyone was taking photos and cheering and everything and then we had someone go so what have you actually done like where have you come from because they figured there was something happening but they didn't necessarily know and obviously my crew had been talking to people so there was this other guy's like well let me tell you what she's done <laughs> so that was yeah it was all it was all amazing it was all very emotional and oh, just yeah. yeah it was it was incredible and it, it's that moment of you've realized you've done it as well 
So that was pretty cool. Pretty special moment in your in your life, and you'll look back on that in fifty years with your grandkids and talk about that. You draped the Australian flag over the sign. Was at the base of the. So the, I had it over my shoulders yeah, for the last the finish little line bit. There. So yeah, beautiful. And held it up at the so end. it's such a special moment. There's a lot of good photos on Mel's Insta and on, on Runner's Insta as well of um of some of the stuff she did and definitely those finish line photos which you're gonna see the emotion. Those three or four hours post race, I can't imagine the feeling, um, the achievement, number one, and mm. just the just the absolute elation. But then how how did you go physically? Did you find a shower? Did you what was your first thing you did the first few hours post? So we were, because up the top of Mount Whitney and, you know, they'd bought a bottle of champagne and a few beers and everything and my American friends are like, drinking national parks, you know, we, we don't want to get in trouble for this. So I just said, okay, we already ha- they already had stayed in Lone Pine, most of my crew at accommodation there. So I was like, well, let's go back to the accommodation. We can all hang out in the room together and then we can do a big cheers and, you know, pop open the champagne and whatever. So we stayed around at the top for uh, maybe like 10, 15 minutes or something. And then we all came back down to the room and then I was able to have a shower for the first time in five days. I was amazing. I wanted to like completely scrub myself five times over, but I ended up feeling a little bit dizzy and I'm like, okay. (laughs) But I managed to wash my hair, which was like, it was nice to be clean anyway. Best best shower And then, yeah, so we all all just sat around and chatted and everything. And then I felt pretty tired pretty quickly. And so I went to bed and tried to have a sleep and then I woke up again and like, it was just, my body was all over the place. And because we stayed in America for another, I think it was about 10 days. Because again, we didn't know how long it was going to take. So we booked to stay longer. And I was waking up about two, three o'clock in the morning for a couple of hours every night because my I'd completely thrown my sleeping pattern out the window. So that was my next question. Did it take the full 10 days until you got back on the plane and to come back home to Melbourne until you even felt normal? Like sleeping normal. Not felt normal, but sleeping normal. Yeah, sleeping took at least two weeks. Definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's well again, five humans in the history have put their body through it, so it's all unknown still. the The sample size is so small. Yeah. So no one knows how you're going to recover from these things. You look great. You're sitting in front of me here, looking magnificent. I've seen you run twice in the last week. You seem like you've made a great recovery. It's such a an amazing event and to put the body through it but it seems touching wood that your immune system and everything's re- recovered really well yeah i haven't gotten sick amazing been absolutely amazing yeah but a lot of that goes down to smart training smart racing yeah like you mentioned many times about your heart right yes um that could have been so different if you're if you're stupid about the way you race yeah, so definitely. um you, you're really in tune with your body you don't you take the pressure off this there's no mental stress which how often do we talk about that listeners with okay she could have sabotaged herself mel with totally. with mental stress and stressing yeah. about this or that or stupid stuff that we do every day in life so there's another point to take out of it yeah because i was i was interested i was following your journey and, and we chatted last week and i was so pumped to see you looking so good because it mm. could have, could have gone out like you could have just been wrecked for three months oh yeah and yeah totally it was only what are we was only not even 40 days ago? Yeah, 15th of October, I think. Yeah, so 45 days ago yeah. as we record this today. Yeah. Unbelievable, mate. Like, you look amazing. Thank You're you. running so good. Um, some people would have probably said, I'm not going to run for four months. But yeah, <laughs> you're back straight into it. And I know we're not talking about racing in the near future because no. the biggest thing in the future for Mel listeners is, a, is an amazing doco that's come that's nearly completed or completed. Yeah, and, and it's being put together at the yeah, moment. Yeah, so it'll, it'll definitely, we'll, 
our few of our runners crew will be there when it gets goes to air in Melbourne. In Melbourne. Do they know yep. where they're they showing it on screens yet? Yeah, so we're talking to um, a cinema over my side of town, so over west. Western suburbs. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's all in negotiation. So we'll, we'll be we'll, we'll probably have you on before that, but we'll definitely um, be promoting that in all forums because um, we need to get around that. A good Aussie athlete doing amazing things. Tell us about the crew because it's pretty special. It's a big team event now. Triathlon and I guess runners is the same. Well, we really try to create team from the the one mile, six, the 1500 to the um, the 100 milers in here. We're all one big team and there is no egos and I'm massive on that. No egos, no judgment and, and everyone is equal. Um, triathlon sometimes has a reputation of not being like that. There is a lot of egos and a lot of people get into it a little bit... Um, I guess for, they've got insecurities in their own life and they, they want to make other people feel ordinary, which is just trifling sometimes. I'm not painting everyone with the same brush because a lot of the endurance guys, and I've got Ironmen per se, that have done some amazing things in, and are beautiful human beings, and you clearly, like for like, have found a lot of beautiful friends for the sport, hundreds in fact. But let's uh, mention the crew members because they are a very special part of this journey. Just give them 10 seconds of airtime each. Yeah, Go for it. absolutely. Don't miss so, anyone. <laughs> I know, pressure's on. Um, so I guess my my number one is Michael, my husband. So he doesn't only crew for my races, but he crews for me at home, really. So he puts up with me when I'm a zombie, when I'm not really even able to form sentences because I'm so tired and just, yeah, manage, manages all of that. So he's, he's absolutely amazing. And I've said to him that next year is his year. So he wants to do a 24-hour mountain bike race. I'm like, all in. And I love crewing as well. So I love supporting him and I love, you know, crewing for, for anyone. So that's that's really cool. My friend Willie from Sydney, um, I'm planning to crew for him next year. Hopefully if he does um, a race, so that will be cool to be able to repay the favour a little bit with that. And then my friend Will from Canada who said to me, even if you didn't invite me, I would have come here no matter what. what like he's, He just, yeah, he wouldn't have missed it for the world. And what a he's, champion. He's crewed for me a couple of times and I've crewed for him and he's just absolutely incredible I love him to death then I had Mary and Heidi they were across from Arizona and Josie was from Philadelphia so those three are the three that I met at Ultraman Hawaii last year because I had been in another actually Mary and I's paths had crossed twice which I didn't realize she was at Ultraman Canada crewing for someone else but I we didn't know who each other was at that time and then she came out and did Ultraman Australia when I was crewing for Will but again didn't get to talk so I purposely was like I need to go and meet this woman and yeah I've like followed her for a while and when I was sitting down at the welcome dinner having a chat with them and they said oh you know what do you have you have any race plans after this and I told them about Uberman and all of them committed on the spot to come and help me and I talked to spoken to them for about half an hour like it was yeah absolutely amazing so I contacted them I said hey are you serious and Heidi actually said to me she was so excited that I had asked her. And I was like, oh, my God, of course. So they, yeah, all, all three of those women I've got so much respect for and amazing. And then my friend Man that I stayed with in San Diego, so he was who I was staying with, and then he came out on the run. I'd actually left my glasses on the boat. So he travelled, like, from near San Diego to LA to pick them up and then met us in the middle of the night in Death Valley and went, oh, I heard you wanted an Uber man for some glasses. And I'm like, that is the best Uber joke I've ever heard in my life. I still love it. And then <laughs> I had my my friend Ken, who uh, was an internet friend that I hadn't, I hadn't met, so I met him 
when I went over to San Diego before Uberman and he had to leave at the the start of the run. So he was he was around during the bike. And then my paddler, Kevin, who um, apparently I've now put off doing <laughs> long paddles in the ocean. In the he's never going to do it again. No, he's never. He's like, never again. But he, he was incredible. He was so solid the whole time. He had his own problems. He was feeling really sick and vomiting as much as I was, which I didn't even realise until he said to me, oh, I'm not feeling great. I'm like, take some of my sea sickness tablets, like whatever you need. But he was, he was rock solid the whole time. And he was, yeah, just so calm and chilled and exactly what I needed. And then the three guys on the boat, the boat captain, John, and then, yeah, his two deckhands. So... Had a big team. Yeah, that's a big team. But yeah, and you name you named a dozen in total, and obviously the main six or seven at the start. But yeah. um, it's a special group. And mm. again, like for like, you attract what you put out there to the universe, and that's what you've done. Most of these people being overseas, or like apart from Mick and Sydney, will not really like you haven't you're not in their pockets all the time. No, so it's no. just a beautiful thing that they said. Yep, I'm going to put my hand up to to go across the country in their state, um, a lot of them. Uh, Philadelphia, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. They're good on them. And look, they're part of history as well. And 100%. you guys have got um, a connection. You 12 or 13 that you just named have got a connection forever. And you can catch up maybe every every year or two, have a, have a couple of beers and talk about what you did and what who's doing what next. And it's just such a special, special part. And I loved it when you were talking about the crew earlier in the day with me uh, before we went on air because I'm so big on that, that human connection. And triathlon uh, and ultra, you're right, the longer you get, you do seem to see a bit of that and the ultra ultra stuff is really special because people yeah. just want to help each other. Yeah, they do. they do. No one is there for any other reason but to experience something themselves, see how far they can push their body and mind and help other people because um, – and then it just it kind of feeds off everyone. So pretty beautiful. So if you are listening to this and you're going, well, I've been fascinated in ultra-distance endurance events, um, I can't promote enough. We've got a lot of ultra guys within the runners community now and, and from when I started, we are just obviously all road and track and, and a bit of te- – obviously a lot of team sports. So the amount of – and we're so much richer for it. Like they're, they're just so – they're all beautiful people. They all help each other. Um, and if the guys are running 5k on the road, they're all down there helping them. Look, it's just it's fantastic. And and you meet him Mel a few times now. It's exactly the same. So you do you do get back what you put out, buddy. Um, I'm not going to ask you about your future in racing because I just don't think we have to go there. You don't want to go there, and I don't want to no. go there either. You've done enough. But what I will do, you, you keep training for fitness at the moment and yeah. and helping yeah. out everyone else. Yeah. Um, out of the three legs that you obviously did so much of in the last five ten years. What do you feel at the moment's the most? Obviously, running's the most time efficient. Yeah. Um, is that just the way you're going to keep yourself mentally and physically right in the next few months? Just having a yeah, a run I I still enjoy all three sports. I don't have one that I'm just like, oh, I only really do it if I have to. Mm-hmm. So I I still like doing all three. I find the bike is a really good social time with some friends. So that's that's really good. And then yeah, like I love swimming. You know, I I it's funny. So I. My, the first thing that I did when I wanted to just do something. So I always, you know, take as much time as I need until I actually want to do some form of exercise. So I took a month off, didn't do anything after this because I just needed that mental and and physical recharge. And I'm still only doing something if I want to. So that's, that's a really nice way that I kind of mentally recharge as well. I don't force myself back on a program. I don't force myself to, to do anything. So I usually, like I swam... And I don't set distances either generally. And I swam and I was like, all right, I might do two Ks. And I got through one. I was like, oh, I feel really good. And then another 500 metres, I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> so I stopped and got out. So now I'm swimming probably about two Ks. 
and then I'm back doing some mountain biking, which I absolutely love. Like that's that's really fun. I don't have a lot of skills, but I don't care. The club that I'm in is really inclusive, really inviting. They just they love as many people at Geelong Mountain Bike Club. And then, yeah, like I've, you know, done a couple of runs here and then done a couple of runs around. I actually have agreed to run with a friend, um, pace run for the AAA triathlon, the part of the league that you need someone with. So I need to build up to about 20Ks. Um, it's up to Cozzy and back that bit from Charlotte's in the start of February. So I need to build up to that, but I know that's not going to be a fast run. So I just need to get a little bit more distance. So, I I'm mean, sure. that'll be fine. I'll, I'm sure you'll be fine. I'll be okay. You, you gotta, so just quickly go over that event quickly. So the distances have changed since I did it. I think it's a, it's like a two or three K swim. I think it's about a 130K ride and then a 20 something K run, but yeah, but it's, all, yeah it's all at altitude. So yeah, you, you, you swim down at Jindabyne and then you ride, I think it's like through Dead Horse Gap, through yeah. Bow up to Charlotte's, um, I think it's the village, and then you run from the village up to the top of the right and then back okay. down to Charlotte's yeah. to finish. That'd be a nice little run, though. Like, yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, and you've done it before. Stunning. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah, that, and that's, that's the perfect way to be. Takeaways from Mel, definitely human connections, number one. She's got a lot of good people around her, but that's because she's a great person herself. Number two, keeping it really stress-free, really simple. Um, and that's the biggest things I can take from her, mental toughness personified, and just controlling the controllables, doing what she needs to do in that moment, and then the rest just flows. Any takeaways for the listeners? You can mention, you can go over my stuff again. Whatever you think the listeners get out there from running from any, like from the mile to the to what you're, if they want, they might want to do Uberman next year. Yeah, um, totally. And get in it, contact if you do. Happy absolutely. to share anything, everything. You've probably already realised that. Mel's done a few blogs for our just our local newsletters that we send out, but um, she's got some great stuff as well on your website. Yeah, so I've so got a blog on, that I do. Is it meluri.com? Um, no, I probably should actually make my own website, but at the moment I'm still using WordPress, so it's rangamel.wordpress.com. Rangamel, rangamel. We'll get Tommy Senior, the producer, to put all these in the show notes. Rangamel. At, oh, sorry, rangamel.wordpress.wordpress.com. Of course, our Insta, which is at rangamel. At rangamel. You might have guessed she's got red hair (laughs) if you come and seen her photos. And and even if you go through some of our stuff on Insta and um, and Facebook, we've done a couple of reports on her. Um, Get in contact because even if you're inquisitive about the way she goes about it mentally um, and you think you could get something out of your professional life or anything, because I think we can all take stuff out of every facet of life. But we said we'd get her on for a quick show because we got her on in about nine months ago, but we've gone over an hour, but... (laughs) Kind of happens. No <laughs> kind of happens when you're um, the world first of what you've done. So at Runners, we're very proud. We've only had an association for not even twelve months, but we're all very proud of you here. So well done. As a fellow Victorian and Australian, I'm immensely proud of you. So you should be very proud of yourself. Enjoy twelve months of just training for a bit of fitness and mental health, which is um, the number one thing we all should mm. be doing it for. So listeners, uh, we all thank Mel Yuri. Thank you. And thank you so much for your support this year. It's been amazing. Absolute pleasure. When um when someone is having a crack at life, you've got, you got no um no second thoughts into giving you a little chop out and just helping out where we can because we're only a, obviously a small company in Melbourne as well, but we just want to help people having a go at life. And um, we appreciate everything Mel's done for us in all the blogs and all the uh, podcasts and all that. So thanks, buddy. You'll be, you won't be a stranger. You'll be popping into runners once a month. Um, listeners, Like Mel, make sure you do something today that's going to make you much, much better tomorrow.